Let's uh, welcome our next guest now. The start of the school year can be an expensive time, not just for uniforms and stationery, but for devices too. And if you're the parent of a child or children with disabilities, the costs are amplified. Workbridge Chief Executive and Assistive Technology Consultant Jonathan Mosin says there's a complexity of choice for aids to help pupils with visual and hearing impairment. A hearing impairment, excuse me, and with that can come high price tags. Uh, Morena, Jonathan, thanks very much for being back with us. Always welcome. Morena, Catherine, good to be back. So what's some of the technology most beneficial to students? Uh, and are students at different ages necessarily or is it universal? I think the age will have some impact in what technology is chosen for someone. So if I could set the scene a little bit with this, computers in all their forms are information creation and information retrieval devices fundamentally. So for most people, that typically means that you type information on a physical or a virtual keyboard and you look at the screen to read the information that the device is showing you. But that's just the most common modality. You can talk to your device. And of course, some professionals have been doing that for years with technology like Dragon Naturally Speaking. If it isn't possible to talk or type, you could use eye movement or other technology to get information into the device. Now, if you can't see the screen well, You might benefit from magnification software that enlarges the part of the screen that you're focusing on and even changes the color scheme to something easier for you to read. And a physically larger screen may actually help you there as well. If, like me, you can't see the screen at all, then you've got screen readers and braille devices, and they can give you the output in a form that you can access. If you can't hear the audible information, increasingly capable captioning technology is available too. While there is still third-party hardware and software out there that make an appreciable difference, and this is the expense that you were talking about in the introduction, the good news is that every computer, smartphone, or tablet operating system that I'm aware of now has built-in accessibility features. And those interested in checking this out might just like to go to the settings or the system preferences of the device that they're using now and look under accessibility and see the array of features that are there. So this is great news for education, but of course with choices you say comes complexity for parents and those who are assisting students. And this area is just moving so quickly, so it's like a full-time job keeping up with it. When someone's education and their future is at stake, it's critical that the student receives assistive technology that gives them the greatest opportunity to thrive. I don't have cause in my own work uh, to engage with the education system, so I've no direct recent experience of this, but in preparing to be here today, I found that there's a lot of uh, comprehensive information on the Ministry of Education's website. They understand that sometimes the devices in the classroom may not be enough, even if the built-in accessibility features and those devices are configured correctly. So the student might need those specialist devices that are so expensive. The good news is that funding for those devices is apparently available where there are identified learning outcomes. So a parent may not need to incur the cost at all of these expensive devices themselves. So where shall we start perhaps with those that you see being um, the most likely? Where, Where does a parent begin, I guess? I think it's important at home to make sure that the technology that someone has at home is as accessible as possible, and that may be initially just looking at what features are available. Then I think it's really important to consult with an expert. When I did my research into who knows what about this complex area, 
I found that there does appear to be a quite good relationship between those assisting the learner directly and assistive technology experts that I understand the Ministry of Education employ, because there's a lot of marketing, and this can be very difficult for parents who just want to do the right thing by their child, and this thing can just sound like the most attractive, wonderful thing, and there's a hideous price tag attached. Well, the good thing is, if you can establish a learning need for that device, that price tag might not be yours to pay, but also the marketing can be quite captivating and not necessarily reflect what the child wants. So I guess my best advice would be, don't do this on your own. Consult with people who live and breathe this technology because of how quickly it changes. It would be good to think that within the school system, perhaps there were um, that was a place to start, and perhaps also to to do the navigation of 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 how to establish the case for a particular uh, piece of equipment or an alternative piece of equipment and or software. Of course, software is the the big player, um, but. Seek help, seek advice is, is your starting point. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Jonathan, with the cell phones now, or the smartphones rather, um, both, I think, being banned in school. One presumes there will be exemptions, right? Um, because this this is vital equipment, isn't it, for, for children, for many children with disabilities? Yes, my understanding is that the government is aware of this and that when they implement their ban, it is not necessarily excluding disabled people who would benefit from technology that is on an assistive device. One example of this could be, for example, that someone with a hearing impairment may have difficulty hearing the teacher. Now, you can get dedicated devices where the teacher might have a microphone that they wear around their neck and the audio is piped directly into someone's hearing aids. But equally, there are some pretty low-cost effective options that can use a smartphone for that. Apple has a built-in feature called Live Listen, for example, and Android has a similar equivalent. So in that case, there is a, a use case there that's very clear that somebody would suffer if they weren't given access to their cell phone in class and I have uh, seen the government say, look, we're aware of this. It's under control. Let's look at some of the uh, the various other built-in accessibility features that might be relevant or that would be relevant to um, to, to pupils, whether, whether it's for at-home learning or in-school learning. We've touched on the smartphones. Most will have a – or many now um, – families will be um, – having to fork out or otherwise access the likes of Chromebook or, or iPad, what else are the kids typically using in schools? And could you talk us through some of the accessibility features that are built in? Chromebooks are a pretty low-cost option, and there was a massive run on those during the pandemic. They became extremely popular. And Google, who run the Chrome OS operating system, have done a very good job with their screen reader, which is called Chromevox. I had cause to investigate this a couple of years ago in my Workbridge role and was delighted by how functional Chromevox actually is because Chromebooks are cheap uh, and they seem to work pretty effectively. So there are features like Chromevox, which includes Braille support for those who want to use Braille, built right into the, the screen reader. The other popular device, I think, in classroom situations is iPads. And the advantage of going this route, whether it be with a Chromebook or an iPad, is this is technology that everybody understands. So when a parent is taking a look at a device, it's a familiar device. They know what an iPad does. They can probably work out what a Chromebook does. What parents need to be aware of, though, 
is that when you enable voiceover on an iPad, which is technology that allows a blind person to use what would on the face of it appears to be this totally blank, inaccessible piece of glass to a blind person if you can't see it. That completely changes the user interface. So because you're very familiar with an iPad in your job or you use it for entertainment, it doesn't necessarily mean at all that you're going to be familiar with the way that an assistive technology user operates that iPad because the user interface can change quite radically. And this is where specialist assistance can come in. Uh, a lot of the operating systems now do have technology that flash information up that would normally be displayed audibly. And with the help of third party accessories, even if you can't type at all, you've got options there. So it's pretty cool to see this a great breadth of features that are in all of the operating systems now, Windows included. Where do you go for that extra assistance then, Jonathan? Again, I'm sure there'll be a lineup of people you know, willing to charge for these services, and that's fine and fair, but to, to make sure you're getting the right help at the best and most reasonable price, where, where do people, again, where do they go? It would be great to think the schools themselves had these connections they could help with. I mean, education for disabled children is under considerable resourcing stress, but certainly in the context of blindness, as, an, as a blind person, I'm reasonably familiar with this. Uh, blind Low Vision Education uh, New Zealand is a network that provides assistance to blind and low vision students around the country. And there they will be able to provide advice, not just on what mainstream technology can do, but also on these specialized devices, things like proprietary dedicated note takers that will show you in Braille what's on the screen, uh, various other devices of that kind, uh, expensive screen readers like JAWS that may make a difference. So my experience, and it's fairly limited of what's available currently, tells me that the education system is doing its best to provide quality advice about this rapidly changing environment. So if you have somebody assisting your child, your student, then I would first approach them. They can make the approach to the Ministry of Education. I understand there's a good peer review process for the filing of these applications. Um, don't assume that the marketing is absolutely correct and that what it's saying means that this is the perfect device for your child. Uh, there is that assistance available. Just staying with the very common devices that are increasing their accessibility features, uh, Chromebook, iPad. Um, this one I don't think we've touched on for children or uh, students unable to talk. Uh, this is on iPad, I think. You Just... might remember that last year we had a bit of a chat about the personal voice feature, for example. And this is where... If it's possible to save somebody's voices, or I guess you could oh, potentially... It was the banking uh, context, includes... wasn't it? We had a lively conversation, yeah. yes. Carry on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so if you can give that person a voice, whether it's, it's their own or potentially someone else's, then it means that using that personal voice feature, you can type a phrase. And when the learner is participating in a classroom environment they'll be able to have a voice speak their contribution. And I think that's really important for that sense of participation, being treated with equality in the classroom. What about students with mobility issues, physical um, disability issues? Uh, again, are we seeing technology uh, keep pace or is uh, particularly in the context of being able to use devices? 
That will depend on whether someone has speech or not. So there are some people with physical impairments that do not have speech either. And in that case, you would look at the kind of technology that Stephen Hawking was using, where you can actually use eye movement to navigate around the screen and input text that way. It can be a slow process, but with all of this assistive technology, those of us on the outside kind of look at it and think, man, this must be convoluted, it can't be efficient. It is remarkable how the human brain adapts. And if you're using this technology day in, day out, people can often achieve speeds that people wouldn't imagine. And that's particularly the case for younger people whose brains are so malleable. We've mentioned earlier the third party tools you were pointing out a lot of the um, devices now, the really big uh, providers are building in more. It's a question of learning uh, how best your child or, or your teen can make use of that, or your university um, student for that matter, though they'll probably know a hell of a lot more than you about it. But when we're talking about third-party tools, are there some definitely worth exploring, uh, even though you're going to have to go through that minefield of, of information and marketing? Oh, without a doubt. I would say that in some cases, at least, the built-in accessibility features, particularly I think where Windows is concerned, where there's quite a lot of choice out there, you kind of got a minimum viable product. And if you were to purchase a specialized piece of software in whatever area we are talking about and whatever impairment type we're talking about, you are likely to get better features and that can directly have an impact on someone's productivity and efficiency in education. If you look at screen reading, for example, Microsoft has a built-in tool called an eraser. It's incoming and it's becoming increasingly capable, but still there are other alternatives, an open source option called NVDA and a commercial option called JAWS that will give you much more ability as a blind person to customize specific things that the speech will say and obviously you only want to hear the things you want to hear so if you have more control over precisely what is spoken and the order that it's spoken that can really assist you to work and learn so third-party tools are definitely still very important and actually we were talking about another hearing uh, innovation last year jonathan that helps take out background noise i'm just thinking of uh, university students or actually school students also now um, I just was it a, a, a particular device that would lower the background noise and allow the voice to to be more predominant. Yeah, so that's another classic example. The built-in Apple feature on your iPhone is called Live Listen, and it doesn't do too much filtering of background noise, that kind of thing. It's not making calculations about what's useful sound and what's not useful sound. But that third-party app called Heard That is making calculations about what's useful sound and trying to remove the background noise and that's where a third party commercial tool may be useful. So appreciated. Thank you very much. Jonathan Mosen is Workbridge Chief Executive. He's also uh, an assistive uh, technology consultant.